Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. To, to keep in touch with us. So, all right, well, let's jump into what we're talking about today. We're wrapping up this series called Things Jesus Never Said. And uh, why? Well, if it's your first time here, let me quickly explain to you why we're talking about this series. Because the things that Jesus said, if you have a printed Bible, oftentimes they're the letters in red. The things Jesus said are powerful and life-changing. They're life-changing. Unfortunately, we have an enemy and an adversary that knows how powerful and life-changing the words of Jesus are. And so he is working nonstop because he knows the truth to twist the truth. And so we have an issue in our world today that the world and that culture, and I'll even say it, church tradition has twisted what the Bible actually says and what Jesus' words were. And here's the thing. If you change one thing about some of the things Jesus said, it does not lead to a path of freedom and blessing. What it leads to is a pathway of religion, oppression, shame, and more. It's a whole bunch of stuff you don't want. For instance, like the phrase that God will never give you more than you can handle. How many of you have heard that? How many of you have said it to someone? That's not true. God will never give you more than he can handle. But see, there's just one word that's different. But if you really believe God will never give you more than you can handle, then you're like, well, I've just got to suck it up, buttercup. I've got to live underneath the weight of this. Instead of leaning into God will never give me more than he can handle, that means I need to lean into him. I need to trust him. I need to rely on his strength, on his power, on his provision. If you really believe that God will never give you more than you can handle, then you can only stand in your strength. You'll never look to him. But it's you. He'll never give you more than he can handle. So it's important. It's important that we know what our Bible says so that when the world, so that when culture comes, so that when you step into a relationship with another Christian who says something like that, you go, ah, 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 God never said that. Jesus didn't say that. It's not, that's not what those words said. We've got to be reading our Bibles. Because if we don't know what he didn't say, or what he did say, we might believe things like, like this. And this is not anything Jesus ever said. Blessed are those who wear fancy outfits to church, for theirs is the kingdom of God. <laughs> Jesus never said that. As often as you gather together, eat Chipotle in remembrance of me. Now, he should have said that and could have said that. If he was alive today, he might have said that. <laughs> he also never said, come follow me, and no one will fight in the car on the way to church. <laughs> never said that. Some of you are like, man, I, I, that's good to know, because we was fighting on the way in this morning, right? Some of you all drove separate to church because the fight was so intense. You all know who you are. You know who you are. <laughs> There's no, no shame. There's like, that's just protection, bro. You don't understand. She will cut me. Yeah, I got you. I got you. So today's topic, we're, we're, of course, looking at what things Jesus didn't say, but, but I want to focus on what, it, what is it that Jesus did or didn't say about feeling guilty? Because I, I don't know, I, I have to assume, and because you are humans, unless we don't have any human or people that are not human here, uh, that you all struggle with feeling guilty from time to time. Anybody agree? You feel guilty. Yeah, there's hands. That's, that's good. 
There's a few of you playing along with me and are honest. I appreciate you. But we feel guilty a lot, don't we? We feel guilty over the things that we said. We carry guilt over the things we didn't say. Oh, man, I should have said that. We feel guilty over the things that we do. Some of the things we didn't do. We feel guilty. Do you know one of the number one uh, guilts that exists? So if you do a little research on this, you'll find this. One of the number one guilts, it's food guilt. We feel guilty over one-third of the food that we eat. What's interesting is, is that men and women, men feel guilty for about 20 minutes, women for much longer. It's food guilt. We have it. There's Christian guilt. Oh, I didn't pray enough. I don't have enough faith. You know, I'm, I, I didn't serve enough. Or if you missed one day in your Bible reading plan, you feel guilty, right? And then you're like, oh, does God still love me? I don't know. Christian guilt. What about mom guilt? Ooh, mom guilt is a thing, isn't it? Because if you're a mom who works, you feel guilty because you have to work because there are moms who stay home. And the moms that stay home feel like feel guilty because, man, there are moms who work and they have a, they, they have a sense of, like, like, what's wrong with me? Don't I have the higher capacity to be able to do They feel guilty because they don't work and don't contribute to the finances of the house. Or, or they look at other moms and they look at the way other moms dress and the way other moms cook or the way the other moms clean or the way they decorate their house. There's like this mom guilt. Then there's this mom guilt of, of moms who have kids who feel guilty for the moms who can't have kids. And the moms who can't have kids who feel guilty because they can't. Mom guilt's a thing. Well, there's just general guilt. I don't want to let somebody down. And when I let you down, I feel guilty. Or I don't want to have to, like, I, I can't say no or I feel guilty. Anybody relate with that one? You know what I'm saying? That's a thing. So I can't say no. Or I feel guilty because I say yes to everything, so I can't say yes to the right things. I have closets full of stuff, and I want more, and I feel guilty about it. I feel guilty when I fail, but I also feel guilty when I succeed because that means somebody else didn't. I feel guilty because I work too hard. And then when I take time off, I feel guilty that I'm not at work. So I take the work with me. Come on, somebody. You know who you are. We feel guilty. We feel guilty because we took God's name in vain. We took, feel guilty because we betrayed a friend. We feel guilty because we love Jesus. We love our spouses. But for some reason, we like porn. Uh-oh. We feel guilty. I have something that, that is very real called pastor guilt. Listen, I, my assignment is to shepherd your lives, to lead you into a relationship with a loving God, and then to follow Jesus step by step by step. Ooh, baby, going to get it to you, girl. In KOTB forever, I'm just saying. If you know, you know. That's my job. And I feel guilty because I don't have enough time sometimes to be available for everyone. I feel guilty because sometimes I feel like I don't do enough to make the impact that I should. I feel guilty because I don't know enough. I feel guilty because I can't fix it. I feel guilty because I can't protect you. I feel guilty because I can't keep you from stupid. Because we're all five seconds away from stupid, guys. But I can't keep you all from that. I feel guilty about that, though. I feel a sense of responsibility as your pastor. I feel guilty. I feel guilty because sometimes I don't feel like I love enough. And I feel guilty and inadequate 
to serve God and to stand in this space. I feel the guilt of my life. I feel dad guilt. I feel guilt about some of the decisions I made as a father. I feel guilty. I understand guilt. So I'm not up here talking to you today from a place of being higher than you. I am with you and lower than you in this. I am, I feel guilt. I sense it. I think we all do. So what do we do when we feel guilty before God? What is it we do? Well, I'm going to tell you what Jesus did and didn't say about this very topic. We're going to look at it through the lens of Luke chapter 23. And in this chapter, what we're going to look at is the last hours of Jesus' life. Now, for those of you that are new to a relationship with God, you may be surprised to find that our Lord and our King during his last hours did not look like our Lord and our King. It may surprise you to know that instead of wearing a golden crown, he wore a crown of thorns. That instead of being surrounded by servants, he was surrounded by criminals and soldiers because he was a prisoner. Instead of sitting on a throne, he hung on a cross where he bled and he died. And so it's through that lens. I'm going to show us a picture of that, and, and, and I'm going to go to this scripture, and I want to just challenge you a little bit. Pay attention because I've got a math question at the end of this verse, and I know that you weren't going to get it right or else you might feel guilty. So just pay attention. Here we go. <laughs> Luke 23, verse 32. Two other men. How many? Right. Others. So that means there was one guy and then there was two others. So how many total? Okay, great. Good. Yeah, I know I just did this. I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. You were paying attention and said three good on you because I'm holding up five. I don't know why. <laughs> two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the Skull, by the way, that's the, the place known as Golgotha, which is just the side of a hill that that naturally looks like a skull, but Golgotha actually means the word head, and they would have crucified him along the roadway outside of the city in front of Golgotha, not up on the hill. I've seen it. I've been there. It's a bus station now. It's a total place of dishonor. And you'll see it too if you go with me to Israel next year, but that's another thing. They took him out to this place, and there they crucified Jesus along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. So how many were hanging on the crosses? Three. Good, good. You passed. Good job, everybody. And so here's the scene. Jesus is being crucified. Pause. I can't just say that without helping you understand what that meant for him. I need you to understand. I need you to understand the horror of that day. I need you to understand who was hanging with him and why. Because death by crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst. It was reserved for criminals that were mass murderers. Like, they did terrible things. They weren't pickpockets. They were terrible human beings. Those were the guys that were hanging with Jesus. And to crucify someone was not only reserved for the worst of the worst, it was also very expensive for the Roman Empire to carry out. Because of the long process. Because, see, to crucify someone is not to crucify them and leave them just hanging on the cross, sitting on the side of the road to intimidate people. No, you had to have four guards surrounding that person to make sure that someone didn't come and just undo the nails and drop them off the cross and rescue them. And so this was an expensive endeavor 
for Romans to crucify. It just wasn't done for everyone. And Jesus was crucified. It's one of the most horrible deaths that anybody can experience. In fact, the word excruciating literally means from out of the cross. The pain that came from the cross is excruciating. It's a horrible death that Jesus faced. It's horrible in multiple forms, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Physically, because he, he would have been pierced through his hands and his feet. The torture and the torment of the cross itself, which I'll get to in a moment, was terrible. Mentally, the anguish that you would have been in as you were publicly mocked. And the emotional weight as you are shamed because everyone who hung on a cross would have hung there naked. And that is to be publicly shamed in this culture. And so physically, emotionally, spiritually, the Bible says that cursed is any man who hangs on a tree. So there's an emotional weight. There's a spiritual weight. There's a physical weight. This is a horrible death that Jesus is experiencing. And I need you to understand that in Jesus' context, what happened was, the very first thing that happened was is that Pilate, who didn't think Jesus was guilty. Pilate was a Roman who was set over that area because the Roman Empire had conquered Israel. And he's over this region, which had already suffered uprisings in the past. And Pilate had already had two strikes against him. This would have been his third strike if there was another uprising. So he took Jesus, a man he did not find guilty, and he had him scourged. Now, a scourging is no simple thing. You understand that there was very, very few people who were ever scourged and then crucified. They were never done in tandem like they were done for Jesus. Because to scourge someone, a Roman soldier was trained to beat you. It was said that 49 lashes from a cat of nine tails, which has got nine leather straps and little pieces of metal and glass in it, and they would whip it across your back and stretch it across and yank, and flesh would peel from your back. And it was said that 40 lashes would kill a man. And so they were trained, and they were motivated too, because if a Roman soldier beat you, and they would do it, by the way, just because so they wouldn't overdo it. They would do it 40 minus one, so you get 39 lashes. And if they didn't kill you in 39 lashes, the Roman soldier themselves was executed in the same way. They were highly motivated to put a hurting on someone. And this is what Pilate subjects Jesus to. He says, don't kill him. Let's bring him inches within his death. And so Jesus is beaten. And the soldiers mock him, throw a purple cloth, cloth on him, shoulders, put a crown of thorns on his head, and send him back to Pilate. Pilate presents him to the people, and the people are enraged because Jesus is standing there looking like a king in full mockery. But they were enraged and demanded that he be crucified. And Pilate, whose wife had dreams and said, don't mess with this man. Pilate, who didn't believe that he was guilty, didn't want another uprising on his hands, and he said, ordered him to be crucified. And so Jesus, who had been beaten within an inch of his life, now carries his cross down the city, across the Via Dolorosa. I've walked it, I've been there. And he walked carrying his cross to Golgotha, where they took nails that were seven inches long and put them through his hands and his wrists and then his feet. 
And they crucified him here. And here is the torture and the torment of the cross. This instrument of torture, men and women would hang on this cross and it would crumple them because their full weight was on their chest from the way they were stretched out and they could not breathe. And so in order to breathe, they would have to pull themselves up by those nail spikes in their feet, in their hands, just to catch a breath. And this would last oftentimes for four days. And it would be at the mercy of the Roman soldiers that on day four, they would come along and break your legs so that you could no longer press up to catch that breath. This was torment, and ultimately they would asphyxiate. They would, they would choke and couldn't breathe. Their last moments being filled with panic. This was torture, and this is what Jesus suffered. An innocent man. This torture, this treatment reserved for the worst of criminals. Now, I'm not sure what the crimes were that these guys committed that were hanging next to Jesus, but they were serious. They did something heinous to be made such a spectacle. And Jesus is crucified between the two of them. And the people gathered, and they mocked him. They cursed at him. They spat on him. And while Jesus is gasping for air in his final moments, suffering mentally, suffering physically, suffering emotionally, he prays and he cries out, Father, send down fire from heaven and consume them. That's not what he prayed. My Lord and Savior said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Scripture continues telling this bloody story in verse 39. It says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. This man was arrogant, prideful. He didn't, he was a guilty man, but he didn't sense his need for God in any way, shape, or form. And he insulted Jesus. But watch what happens in verse 40. He says, but the other criminal rebuked him. He said, don't you fear God since you're under the same sentence? We're both about to die, bro. About to meet our makers. Have you no humility? Do you not sense who this is? He says, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. That second criminal recognized they're, they're getting what they deserved. They, they, they had done the crime, and now they're doing the time. They're paying the price for their decisions. Now, we as a people, and don't you go lying on me now, we love it when people get what they deserve, don't we? We sure do. We do. We love a good revenge story. We love it when the bad guy gets the comeuppance. We love it when justice prevails. And this idea of you get what you deserve is so ingrained in our brains and in our culture, it's also in the way that we talk. I'll prove it to you. Finish these statements for me. What goes around, mm -hmm. your past will come back to, that's right. You make your bed, you gotta, that's right. Look at that. Revenge culture just built right into all of us. We know it. We, we know it. But it's all different ways to say, you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. You like it when people get what they deserve. So do I. I like watching on TikTok. Anybody, anybody on TikTok and you like to watch Karens? Y'all know what a Karen is? It is a, a, a purse, a lady, generally, who will, in, there are male Karens, though. Uh, it became like a subcategory. But anyway, these are ladies who insert themselves into situations and exert an authority they don't actually have. 
And I love watching Karens who get in somebody's business, stir up a mess, call the police, and then they're the ones that get busted, right? For trespassing or doing whatever it was, oftentimes a Karen will hit someone and then they'll get, you know, they'll go to jail for assault. Like, it's just a thing. It's really entertaining to watch. But my favorite ones to watch are porch pirates. Y'all watch videos of these porch pirates? Man, I, I like, so everybody's got these ring doorbells now or some version of that where we can watch what happens. And porch pirates, even though they're masked, they don't think they're ever going to get caught. And uh, some of my favorites are the ones the porch pirates will walk up on the porch or run up on the porch, and they've got a getaway car that is just kind of slowly rolling by, right? And, uh, and they'll run up, they'll grab the package, and then they run out to the car, they jump in the car and get away. And I've seen plenty of those where the people get away with it. But my favorite ones are where they don't. My favorite ones are the ones where somebody comes running out the house and tackles them because they saw on the camera. Or the one that I loved most recently I saw was a porch pirate grabs a package, goes running towards the car, and they hit the curb, twist their ankle, and break it. They fall down. The packages hit the ground. The owner comes out and is now slowly walking towards the crippled porch pirate. And the getaway vehicle sees what's happening and gets away, <laughs> leaving the crippled porch pirate to call out for mercy. They got what they deserved. We like seeing that, right? If you don't, you're lying because you do. We like when someone gets what they deserved. We like that as long as that someone isn't us, right? So look again at what the second criminal said. He said, we're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he's talking about Jesus, he's done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' response, he didn't go, nah, you know what, bro, I never liked you. He doesn't go, you know what, dude, listen, all the things you've done in your life, you're going to hell. That's the truth. You're just going to hell, bud. He didn't do that. He didn't tell him you get what you deserve. He didn't even tell him, hey, it's too late, because some of us at that moment are tempted to say it was too late. Well, but Aaron, he didn't get to be baptized, though he can't be in heaven well, let me tell you something. That's just not true. Because Jesus didn't say anything like that. What he did say, he said to the criminal who couldn't do anything to earn his standing with God. This criminal could not walk the straight and narrow after this moment. His feet were bound on a cross. He could not do any good works and serve. His hands were nailed to the cross. He could not turn over a new leaf in his life. His life was expiring and leaving his body. This is not a guy who could join a church. This is his last day to live. No. Jesus looked at this guy who could do nothing. A criminal who was getting what he deserved here on this earth for his decisions. And he said to him the following. Truly, I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. The criminal couldn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. Yet Jesus gave him mercy and he gave him grace. Oh, I love that. He didn't give him what he deserved spiritually. Now you say, Aaron, wait a minute. That's just not fair. Where's the justice? He was guilty. He deserved death. And Aaron, I think that he belongs in a category with mass murderers and pedophiles and rapists. And no, they deserve what they're getting. That's not what Jesus would say to anybody in those categories. Not to one who turned their hearts to him. And my story if you think this guy deserved things, you should know my story. I'm just like all y'all. I lied. I've cheated. I've stolen. 
I've broken promises. I've wounded people with my words. I've hated people. I was bitter and angry. I've battled with depression. I've battled with lust. I've walked in shame. I've gone through divorce. I've gone through financial ruin and bankruptcy as a young man. I've gone through some stuff, stuff I'm not proud of, decisions that I made that led to a place that I'm, I didn't deserve grace. I didn't deserve a do-over. I didn't deserve mercy. I didn't deserve any of that. I was guilty. I don't deserve to be standing here speaking to you today. I don't deserve this. But this is not about what I deserve. Because, see, I was dead on the inside. I had no hope, no joy, no life. And Paul wrote the following verse to this church at Ephesus, these Christians, but he could have been writing it about and to me. He said in Ephesians 2, verse 3, he said, Like the rest, we were by nature, by our nature, our sinful nature, the way we came into this world, deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy... By the way, the Bible tells us that his mercies, even if you think you could exhaust them by how bad you is, his mercies, they're new every morning. You can't run out. And he'll just start them over every day. So you can be bad all by yourself, but you're not going to run out of God's mercy. It's just not going to happen. All right, carry on. That wasn't even in my notes. That was just free. felt like I should say it to somebody. God, who's rich in mercy, made us, everybody say it with me, alive. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. See, I was dead in my sins. I was dead man walking. I was headed towards a destination where I live in eternal and total separation for God forever. That's what we call hell. It's eternal separation. And those who want to refuse God in this life and live separate from God in this life will ultimately get what they were walking towards their entire lives, which is eternal separation from God in hell. God doesn't send people to hell. You got what you were asking for in your life. And I was dead in my sins, dead man walking. The consequences of my choices, the consequences of my sin, the consequences of the, the wickedness within my heart. And what Jesus did made me alive because, see, he commuted my sentence. He paid the price for me so that I didn't have to pay it myself. I was no longer on death row, no longer dead inside. I was made free, given new life, his life. I didn't deserve it. I could not earn it. And yet... He still gives it to me. That's my story. He didn't come to make bad people good. See, we get that wrong. We think that's what Jesus did. It's all about behavior modification. No, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. That's why he came. The verse continues. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. In other words, baby, ain't got nothing to do with you. It's nothing to do with you. It's the gift of God. Y'all ever get a gift and you go, oh, thanks. This is what I paid for on Amazon, right? Like, that ain't a gift, honey. You paid for that. A gift is something somebody gives you. They surprise you with it because they love you. They want to be a, a blessing to you. They care about you. Maybe they heard you say you wanted something and they gave it to you as a gift. It's a gift. Not by works so that no one can boast. It doesn't have anything to do with you. God gives us this gift because he's that good. Huh. Now, this didn't happen in the story, but imagine this. Imagine Jesus tells the criminal, he's like, hey, you're going to be with me in paradise. I forgive you. 
And the Roman soldiers hear that, and they're like, hey, uh, that guy just forgave him. Let's go ahead and let him down. So they take the nails out. And other than having some holy injuries, which will heal, the criminal now has a new life, been set free, forgiven. And they'll go on and live their lives. What do you think that criminal's going to do? What do you think he's going to think about on a regular basis? I'll tell you what. That someone else paid the price for him so that he could go free. Imagine this. What would the rest of his life be devoted to? I can tell you. You already know it. It'd be devoted to the innocent one who gave their life for you. It would absolutely be done that way. You'd live every day thinking about what he did for you. It would impact your family, your wife, your kids. Now received you back. You were once dead, but now you're alive because you were supposed to die. And they receive you back. Heart changed. Life changed. New commitment on the horizon. And your wife and your kids' lives would forever be changed as a result of what that innocent man did, the gratitude that would dwell within them. It would impact everyone. And I'm here to tell you today, friends, we are that criminal. I am that criminal. You are that criminal. We are guilty. And the innocent one, Jesus, he paid the price for us. He took our spot and he set us free. He gave us his life in place for ours. So we live passionately for him every day because we didn't get what we deserved. And I thank God that's who he is. In fact, David wrote this in Psalm 103, verse 10. He said, God doesn't punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. See, some of you think God's sitting up in heaven with a lightning bolt ready to hit you if you mess up. Some of you are like, man, I'm nervous to go to church today because I'm afraid I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, like, fry if I walk in there. And some of you have stayed out of a church for a long time. This is just not true. This is who God is. He doesn't punish us. He doesn't deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him, those who honor him, those who revere him, those who submit their lives to his lordship. That's what fear him means. Doesn't mean you're scared of him. We revere him as, a, as, a, as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. See, this is how good God is. And that criminal story is my story, and it's many of your stories, too. So let's go back to this. How many, how many criminals were, or how many people uh, were on the cross? Yeah, three. I even did it right this time. <laughs> now, my dad, who passed away a few years ago, one of the things that he loved in the Bible that he would share with me a lot when he talked to me about Scripture was the hidden things in the Bible, the things that are underneath the surface, the cool stuff, the stuff that you would just consider a uh, like a, that, that's a coincidence until you start seeing that coincidence all throughout the Bible and a theme begins to develop and then you see God just doing some really cool things that nobody knew about. My dad liked conspiracy theories and end time prophecy and all these things. And one of the things that he honed in on was years ago this book came out called The Bible Code. Does anybody remember that? And it was in tandem with, with a study of Scripture called numerology. That numerology says that, that numbers in the Bible, anytime you see numbers, not the book of numbers, but like actual numbers, like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, those numbers, when you see them in the Bible, they're oftentimes God uses them to speak to a theme that is occurring. It's called numerology, okay? And here's, here's what a few of them are. Like the number one speaks to, has the theme of unity or represents God. 
The number four is oftentimes used to refer to the earth. Number five is the number of grace. You'll see that theme in tandem with the number five. The number of perfection is the number seven. That's God's number. That's on the seventh day he rested. It was, everything was perfect. It was good. Number six is the weakness of man, or if you go 666, it's the number of the devil. Eight is the number of new beginnings. Ten is a number for testing, and 40 is a number for trials. Now, there's lots more throughout Scripture, but they ultimately, when you see those numbers, start looking for those themes. God, why is the tithe 10%? Oh, it's a test. It's a test to our hearts because it's the number 10, right? You see testing throughout Scripture. Anyway, it's there. It's cool stuff. But three, three is the number of wholeness. It's the number of completion. Let me show you this. This is really interesting in Scripture because when you see that number three, it means it's finished, it's complete. There's been a process, it's whole. God is the Trinity, three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They exist in unity, but as three individual persons in one. We are created in God's image and therefore are triune in our nature. We are mind, or excuse me, body, soul, and spirit. God, his powers, he is omnipresent. That means he is everywhere. He is omniscient. He knows everything. And he is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. That's three. In Revelations, it talks about Jesus, and it says he is the one who was, who is, and is to come. That's three. God's grace manifests in three ways, something called justification. That's the moment that you accept Jesus as your Lord. You are made right. Then there's a process of you becoming more like him. It's called sanctification. And then the third, the third point in that journey is to ultimately become glorified when we get to heaven. So we are justified by Christ. Then we are ma- being made into the image of Christ, and we finally will be in the image of Christ when we get to heaven. That's three. In the Old Testament, there are three patriarchal fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the tabernacle. There are three sections, the outer courts, the inner courts, the holy of holies, the angels and the visions that the prophets saw. They cried out, holy, holy, holy. How many times? Daniel prayed three times a day. Jonah was in the belly of the whale. How many days? Three. The New Testament has 27 books, and that's three times three times three. I know that's a stretch, but we're having fun, right? The Apostle Paul was blinded for three days. He prayed three times for this issue in his life, a thorn, he called it, to be removed. He was stranded on the island of Malta for three months after being shipwrecked. Jesus was born and was visited by a number of wise men. We're not sure how many showed up, but we know that there were how many gifts? Right, because it was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Jesus, 12 years old, separated from his parents for three days. Jesus' public ministry lasted three years. He started at age 30, and he died at age 33. That's two threes, guys. Here we go. Jesus tempted three times in the desert by Satan. He had 12 disciples, three of them that were on his inner circle. That was Peter, James, and John. Come on, somebody. Are you seeing a theme? I'm going to keep going. (laughs) Jesus predicted Peter would deny him three times. That's exactly how many times Peter denied Jesus. And then Jesus expressed his love and restored Peter Three times, Jesus raised three people from the dead. Lazarus, the widow's son, and Jairus' daughter. Jesus prayed how many times in the Garden of Gethsemane? Three, that's right, three times. He fell walking the Via Dolorosa to the cross where he would be crucified to go, out to Golgotha. Tradition tells us that he fell three times. He was one of three men who was hung on a cross. The sign above his head said, King of the Jews in three languages, in Hebrew, in Greek, and Latin. 
He was placed on the cross at the third hour of the day, at the ninth hour, which was 3 p.m. He declared three words of victory. It is finished. The Bible says the earth trembled and it went dark for three hours and the world waited while heaven started counting to three. Day one, he was dead. Day two, he was dead. But on day three, that stone rolled away and he rose from the dead. On the third day, Jesus was risen. His work was complete. It was finished. And the Bible says he defeated three things, death, hell, and the grave, friends. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. That's three if you're counting. So today, Jesus says to this criminal, you will be with me in paradise. It's what he said to a man who did not deserve mercy. He did not deserve grace. And he's saying the same thing to you and to me still today. So if you're here today and you feel guilty, you feel unworthy, you feel unlovable, you feel ashamed, Jesus doesn't say you're getting what you deserve. It's not what he says to us. Friends, I'm not here today because I'm good. I'm here today because he's that good. Because he's that good. We're all here today because of his mercy and his grace. What is mercy? Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. What that means is that we're not getting the punishment we deserve, but we are getting the blessing and the good we don't deserve. That's grace and that's mercy. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross when he bled and he died. He gave his life so that you can have what you don't deserve. And what is that? Man, that's new life. That is hope. That is faith. That is peace. That is joy. That is strength. And if you don't have that today, bow your heads and join me in praying. Everybody right now in this moment. God is here. He's here in this moment and he's here for you. This service has been orchestrated for you. If you're here today and you're struggling with your worth, if you're struggling with your guilt, Christians, I'm asking you to be praying right now for the ones that are sitting next to you and are in this room because somebody needs to make a decision and they're scared. They feel guilty. They're not sure. They hear my words, but they're not sure. Pray that faith rises in their hearts today because today they can meet Jesus. You can meet Jesus. You can know him. You can experience the freedom that he has for you. You can experience forgiveness. He does not have for you what you deserve. He has grace and mercy. So today, if you're here and you're ready, Aaron, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. I never knew that God loved me so much. I'm ready to begin this. I want to start. Some of you, it's a coming back. Maybe you walked with God at some point in time and maybe you, you read, read something or heard something that, man, if I knew Jesus once and I walked away from him and, 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 and I could never come back, and that's just not true. Because of my story, I walked away and God brought me back. He chased me down. And he's here chasing you today. So all across this room, if you're ready to make that decision, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I want you to join me. I want you to pray it. In fact, I'm asking everybody in this room to pray it out loud. But, but the thing I'm asking you to do, if you're making that decision today, it would be a great encouragement to me today to know that you're making that decision. So if you're doing that, would you just slip your hand up right now and say, Aaron, that's me. I'm doing it right now. I'm making a decision. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you. I'm proud of you. 
You can put your hands down. Thank you. People there are making decisions in this room today. God is on the move in our hearts. And so, Lord, here's the prayer I want us all to pray. Join me. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me for my sins. And make me brand new. Today I give you my life. Now you give me yours. Fill me with your spirit and show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Man, if you prayed that prayer today, this is your new start. Heaven is having a party. Simple Church, celebrate with those who said yes to Jesus today. Come on. Let them know you're proud of them. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope it has given you hope and helped you know God a little bit more. The goal of this podcast is to reach beyond our walls and connect with people far from God. If you'd like to join us in doing that, there are several ways for you to get involved. First, you can pray for us as a church. Prayer is our first response and our greatest resource. Pray for opportunities that we can boldly step into, make a difference in our community and around the world as we proclaim the, the good news of Jesus. Second, share this episode on your social media accounts and directly with your friends. It's easy to do through whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this message. Just click share and follow the prompts. Finally, you can support the mission through your generosity. The best part about this is that it's also an act of worship where you express the priority of your love for God and others through your finances. Links to give are in the show notes or simply visit www.mysimple.church/giving. We are so thankful you joined us today. Hope you'll consider joining the mission of our church in some way. Thank you again, and we'll see you at next week's episode.